0: Welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat, hosted by Donna Blevins, the big girl of poker at five. This is not your average poker podcast. Donna and her guests talk about poker in a way you've never heard before. Listen in and learn about how to play the game and how to win at life. Find show notes for this show and more great content on the blog at
1: BigGirlPoker.com. Well, hello. This is Donna Blevins, poker mindset coach, and I am here today with... Maria Ho, and I am one of her biggest fans. Hi, Maria. Thank you so much for coming on with me today. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to do this. You know, we were talking before. I said, Maria, do you remember when you and I spent a lot of time in the bathroom together, (laughs) in the restroom, at the Rio in 2007? Because that was, Maria, that was your first really big tournament success when you finished as the last woman standing in the main event in 2007, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, that was definitely by far, you know, the biggest buy-in tournament I've ever played and, you know, the best finish and best cash I've ever had to date.
1: I was kind of regretful that we didn't talk to each other, but you and I were both focused on our game, and I busted out as, as the fourth woman standing, and, and I must admit, I was I was envious of you, but you know what? You and I share something in common, and I didn't know this actually until I was prepping for this interview. You and I been, went out with the same hand, Ace Ten. <laughs> oh God!
0: That yes, yeah, <laughs> that hand that hand might haunt both of us forever.
1: Then. <laughs> you you had a a much better story about it because mine I simply lost my courage. Have you ever experienced that yourself?
0: Oh, absolutely, and, and you know it's it doesn't even really go away. I I can't I can honestly say that, you know, even though I. have obviously played a lot more tournaments since then there's just times when you know you know it's the right situation to pull the trigger you know that there's a play to be made in a certain hand and you know sometimes you you just lose the guts to kind of do what your instinct is telling you to do and you know obviously there's always a lot of regret associated with that because you know, in poker one hand can completely change the outcome of your entire tournament. So it it it's definitely still a problem that I have.
1: So how do you how do you deal with that when that when that fear 'cause I know it makes us feel weak. You know, we, we we're hard on ourselves when we do that. How do you deal with that? How do you how do you amp up your courage? Uh by drinking alcohol
0: when I play number no, <laughs> 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 Um <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You know what? Listen, I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I have had an alcoholic beverage or two at the tables. And actually, sad enough, it does help. But no, to be honest, I think it's just about trusting your instincts more. And I think what I've done that I think is really helpful is, you know, I'll, I'll play some lower buy-in tournaments or you know some home game type tournaments for fun with my friends where I know that I'm not as worried about the money that's on the line or the stake that we're playing for and then I and then I use that tournament kind of as practice where I tell myself you know before I go in to play this tournament okay I'm going to follow my instincts every single time I'm going to do what I think is right given the situation every single time and it just kind of gives me that that practice in terms of, you know, feeling out what my gut's telling me and following through with it. And, you know, it's in an environment
1: where I don't feel that dumb when I'm wrong, you know? I think that that's excellent advice. That's one of the things that I've recommended to my poker coaching clients as well. And I'm glad to hear it from you. I mean, I'm just beaming to be here with you today because because you've had such an amazing track record. How many times have you cashed in the World Series, in World Series events? Wow, you know, I think it's—I think I'm up to uh, seventeen. I want to say I. Wow.
0: It's not that I have so many that I lost track, but I did actually have a really good year at the series in terms of caches. So I I got a little mixed up there, and I'm not really sure where I'm at, but
1: something in that neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, That—that is so impressive. How—how many times during the year are you playing? In tournaments, now you're talking about playing in the smaller buy-in tournaments. What do you consider a major event? Um, you know, that's a really good question. I, I think that,
0: you know, it kind of ranges. I think before, pre-Black Friday, I would consider a major event something, you know, that's a televised tournament, something that was, you know, $5,000 buy-in and above. But, you know, since Black Friday, a lot of the different tournament, um, circuits have Scaled back on, you know, the amount of the buy-in, et cetera. So, you know, now I don't really gauge it so much by, you know, whether it's televised or by the amount of the buy-in, but I just kind of gauge it as, you know, runners and, and the, the field in terms of skill level. So, you know, I, now I consider, you know, obviously a World Series of Poker circuit event, even though, you know, it's not televised and, and it's you know fifteen hundred dollars. I still definitely consider that
1: a, a major event, and I would be happy to win that. Obviously. Okay. So what are you looking at? Let's talk about game selection as far as tournaments, because this is something that people are all the time asking me. And how do you how do you you're looking at one that you can have uh, more people, a uh, higher buy-in, so that your purse is going to be good. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. You know, I think
0: especially post-Black Friday, it's all about finding really good value in live tournaments because, you know, just the field size really shrank since then. And so people aren't just, you know, putting up that kind of money to play tournaments anymore. So you really just have to go to places where, you know, poker is still a little bit underdeveloped in certain parts of the country and the world as well, of course. But in the united states there's definitely still places that i consider a little bit behind on the poker learning curve and so i will travel you know to somewhere a little bit more remote just to play in a tournament if it has if it means it has better value because there's weaker fields and so you know
1: that's definitely a consideration for me now I i agree with that because i've always said People who say, boy, I want to play with the best players in the world, and I say, no, I don't want to play with the best players in the world, <laughs> because I would be the fish. You know, I really want to play where I can be one of the strongest players at the table. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think that that's the
0: problem associated a little bit with Poker and the community is there's a lot of ego in poker and and I understand where that comes from because you have to be confident in your game and and confident overall in order to be a winning poker player I think that's very important psychologically to believe in yourself and to have faith in your game and to know that you know you're you're you know what you're doing when you're sitting down at a poker table but I also feel like when it's on the extreme end of the spectrum it tends to make poker players feel like they have to play the biggest buy against the toughest fields. And if you're looking at this as a, a way to make a living as a job, then you have to realize that there is something, you know, that that feels great about being able to beat the best. But if you're really trying to do this to put food on the table and to, you know, make a living out of, then it's not all about, you know, who – who's playing the bigger buy-ins and who's able to beat the best, because everybody knows that there's a winning group of poker players that are all very, very
1: good, and there's no reason, you know, for us to fight each other. You're talking about the poker players at the top about – and I think it's really interesting. You're talking about um, picking tournaments if you you want to, you know, make a living at it, and I think that's something I would like to talk about because there are many people who come to me who say – you know, I really am, you know, part-time poker player, but I would eventually like to make a living at it. And this is, you know, what would you recommend for those people?
0: I think that in order to transition uh, from playing part-time or, you know, recreationally while, you know, having a a nine to five or actually still having another full-time job, I think it's a, it's a difficult transition to make. And I think there's a lot of factors involved for you to really know if you're ready. I think that, um, What I did, because obviously I I started playing poker when I was still in college, and so I was playing poker on the side, but, you know, going to school was my full-time thing. And it was really about knowing, you know, that you have the proper bankroll to sustain the fact that if you're used to getting a paycheck every month, you have to understand that poker might not work out that way for you. Uh, you you might go a few months, you know, without, especially if you're a cash player or a tournament player, actually, you might go a few months without making any money, um, sometimes breaking even, sometimes even losing, and you need to make sure that you have the proper, not only poker bankroll, but life bankroll to sustain the period of time where you might be going on a downswing, and I think that's a mistake that people make all too often is they just jump into it way too early and maybe their skill level is there but even if your skill level is there but your bankroll isn't right for the situation you know you're really not giving yourself the proper chance to make it because poker is obviously a game where skill will prevail over the long run and if you don't have you know the cushion as far as you know being able to pay the bills as well as being able to stay in action to to sustain
1: playing, then, you know, you, you're not really giving yourself a decent shot at it. I agree 100%. Now, when you're looking at having two bankrolls, and I think that's one of the problems with people that are thinking about making a living with poker is they don't realize that they have to maintain two bankrolls, the living bankroll and the poker bankroll. If someone is going to make that transition, how much do you recommend they have in regards to a living bankroll? I think that as far as a living bank rule, I
0: think th- this is where I think people need to put a lot of thought into it. I think they need to figure out, you know, what their expenses are, you know, what, you know, rent, cars, gas, all of those things. And then they need to factor in, you know, an extra, they need to pretty much factor that in for, I would say, a good six to nine months at least. Because I just think that there's a problem where people think, oh, well, you know, I'll have enough for living expenses for one month and then, you know, hopefully I'll see what happens with the poker side of things and hopefully by the next month I'll come up with the money that I need for rent, et cetera. And that's just not how poker works and that's not even really how life works, but I think people get so used to the idea of, you know, having uh, you know, when they have a nine-to-five to expect that the amount of work they put in is going to translate monetarily. You know, that's something that's very different and isn't, you know, always the case in poker. And so I think just being able to think more long-term um, than, you know, paycheck-to-paycheck, paycheck, so to speak, um, is good for people that are trying to figure out what exact amount their, you know, life bank role should be versus their poker bank role.
1: I think it's a great point, a great point, and I've always said you know, the very best scenario is to have a year's worth, you know, 12 months worth of life bankroll so that you don't have that stress, and six to nine months I think is absolutely the minimum. In relationship to a poker bankroll, what kind of guidelines would you give there? It depends a lot on what kind of games they're playing. I honestly
0: wouldn't suggest any person that's going from part-time to full-time poker player to go into a tournament kind of uh, poker playing. I think the best way still to make money from poker is from cash games. It's the most consistent. It's, it's, it has way less variance than tournament poker does. And I just think that, you know, I would recommend somebody transitioning into tournaments if they've been playing cash games for a while and they have, you know, a poker bankroll that's big enough that they can kind of separate some of it out for tournaments, but then keep, you know, the majority of it for cash games if the whole tournament side doesn't work out well. So that's one thing that I would say. And as far as cash game um bankroll goes, yeah, it depends a lot on the games that you're playing. I, I'm i much more familiar with uh what you need for live bankrolls. I would say if you're playing limit games, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, see, now it's it's very different to play online and to play live because online you need a much bigger bankroll because, you know, you're playing more than one table. Usually you're seeing a lot more hands in an hour. But live, if you're kind of trying to transition into playing as a live cash game player, I would say you maybe need for a limit game probably – 200 times the big bet of whatever it is that you're playing. And, and that's not, I think that's not definitely not the conservative number. I would say people would say 300 or something more than that for limit games. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that just jump the gun way too early. And I don't want to give them this number that they feel like, okay, well, I'll never be able to transition to, into playing poker full time, but something that I think people can wrap their head around and feel like they're still able to make that transition, but something that's still going to give them enough of a cushion.
1: I think that's important because if they jump in without understanding that poker is a business and you have to look at poker as a business, you know, we've gone from, from it being purely entertainment, even though I, it's one of the, the most, I have more fun at poker than just about anything. Uh, but at the same time, I have to look at it as a business. I believe people don't look at it as business. Do you find that? Yes,
0: absolutely. And, and I know I was joking earlier about, well, half joking about drinking sometimes when I play. And, and that's definitely a problem that I have too. I think that people aren't taking poker as seriously as they should. And, and I know that it's hard to because if you look at the environment you're in, in terms of being in a casino and being among friends all the time, it, it seems like you're just having fun. And I think that's why poker is so appealing to so many people is because there is that element of poker that doesn't seem like this is actually a job. So uh, I understand where it comes from. But I think it's very dangerous to veer to the side of not taking it seriously enough and to feel like this isn't actually a business. It's definitely something that I would tell people to be very aware and cautious of. Because I know that, you know, I've had times when I've gotten lazy. And when I've you know told myself oh i'll just go play you know i'll go play at the commerce tomorrow or or whatever it is and you know i just end up spending more money than i'm making and i'm not really thinking about okay even though i get to set my own hours i should still treat this as a job and you know you can't really do something well and you can't really make a living if you're not putting you know If you're not putting at least 40 plus hours a week, I think so, it's important to still set a schedule and to be accountable to yourself, even if you don't have to be accountable to other people. And that's definitely hard for people to self-monitor. But, you know, I think that if you if you feel like you aren't that kind of person that can really hold yourself accountable, then playing poker for a living might not be for you. You might need more structures from somebody Uh else.
1: Do you have any friends that are that are like accountability partners for you? Yeah, I do have a couple. Um I I have
0: some people in poker and it's not even people, you know, that I that really play tournaments. It's mainly people that I met in cash games because I feel like people who play cash games in a lot of ways have, you know, more discipline than people who play tournaments. Um so they've always just kind of kept me in check. Um, I definitely don't play as many cash games now as I used to. But, you know, I still very much look up to all of my friends who I know have been playing. They're kind of the unsung heroes of poker, I think, because I know people who have been playing poker, just cash games strictly for, you know, 20, 30 plus years, making a living, grinding, you know, five, six days a week. And, you know, they're really doing it to support their family. And, you know, they're not out there, you know, for TV time. They're not out there for the glory that comes with tournament poker. They really are doing it because this is something
1: that they're good at that, you know, they can make, make a living from. hmm hmm You talked about online being able to, having to have a larger bankroll than live. Let's talk about some of the differences between playing poker online and live because, since since Black Friday, I pretty much have not been online. I told myself I was going to stay off of online poker until it was reconciled because I do a lot of work with Poker Players Alliance. I'm the director of uh, Poker Players Alliance for the Florida chapter, and I've gone to Washington for the uh, lobbying efforts. And so I, I'm really focusing on live. So let's t- talk about some of the differences, how people need to look at a live game versus online. Well, um, I think that a big, big difference,
0: at least I know for me. And like I said, I started out live, so I'm not really sure how this works. If it was the other way around, if it was someone going from online into live poker more, but I know for me, you know, when I see the chips in front of me and when I, you know, hand, you know, the, the chip runner, you know, a $1,000, $5,000, I mean, I realize and I have more of, of this, you know, idea in my mind that this is real money that we're playing for. But I know that when I'm playing online sometimes, you know, you're just staring at a screen, you know, you're just staring at a number at the bottom of the screen and you're just kind of clicking buttons and sometimes you lose sight of the fact that this is real money. I realize that a lot of times when I'm playing online, I, you know, sometimes I'll do the whole, oh, I just want to see what he has, so I'll call because I don't feel like it's costing me real dollars to do it. And then before I know it, you know, I'm losing way more money than I normally would in this session if I had been playing live. And I also realize that, you know, when you're playing, you know, in the comfort of your own home, online, you get distracted by a ton of things. You know, I'll start watching TV. I'll start, you know, surfing the Internet sometimes I'll be on the phone and I'll be playing my, you know, a couple tables. And and then I'm like thinking, what am I doing? I, I'm totally not focused. I think that sometimes people, you know, forget that it's so much easier to get distracted when, you know, there's a billion other things to do. But when you're kind of sitting in your chair at a casino, you, there's not much else you could do except to focus on, you know, everything that's going on around you. And I mean, I think everybody knows that you know, being perceptive and and having good observational skills is, is very important at the poker table. So, I think that people sometimes kind of lose sight of it when they play online because, you know, they have so many other things that are going on around them that they're not completely focused. So, I would caution people of that. But um I would also say that, honestly, I think online players in general now are, are better than live players. So I think online is a little bit tougher. So I think online is a good way for people to learn how to play the fundamentals of poker, but I think that, you know, I would tell people a 510 game live doesn't translate to a 510 game online. I believe that a 510 game online is way tougher to beat than a 510 game live. I would almost say that, you know, it's more like 50 cent a dollar online would be the equivalent of $5, $10 live in terms of the players that you're playing against, um, in, in, as far as skill level goes. So I think, you know, there's a lot of differences between online and live that I think people aren't that aware of. They kind of look at it like, oh, well, I'm just playing poker, right? There's not a big difference. But as everybody knows, there's a huge difference between, you know, cash game and tournaments between no limit hold and limit hold them. And, you know, the same goes for online and live. I think they're two completely different beasts, and so I w- I wouldn't you know ever recommend somebody who you know might do well in a five ten game at their local casino to you know go online and just jump into the five ten game there because I don't think it plays the same at all.
1: I agree with you a hundred percent because when I first went online in the no- the late nineties, I it was on one the first poker online sites. Um, I thought, well, I'll I'll go ahead and and I was playing twenty forty limit, and i thought well i'll I'll do that online and at the time, very smart people said, "No, you want to do three six limit online and i said what <laughs> and it was it was absolutely the case. it was absolutely true you know a three six game played very fast and it was very profitable uh you protected yourself some in relationship to your bankroll and people didn't expect it was going to be good play at all and you could pick your tables uh, in those days Um, it was very exciting tell me why you believe that online players are better than live players today well there there are a couple reasons
0: I think um, and I believe I forget who but you know one of those young online you know poker geniuses had said you know oh well in Two years time, I've played more poker than Doyle Brunson has played in, you know, all of his years of playing. And, you know, I'm not saying that necessarily makes him better than Doyle, but it's, but it is true that, you know, in terms of the learning curve and in terms of how many hands you get to see, how many different scenarios play out and, and all of those things, you definitely get to see all of that and experience all of that in a much shorter amount of time now that online poker is available. So, you know, things that took Doyle and Phil me within them, you know, years to maybe, you know, learn or, you know, years for them to see a certain hand play out or a certain scenario come about. You know, somebody who's playing online, playing eight tables at a time is, is going to see, you know, that a lot faster and learn from it and adapt to it and, and grow. And, and so I think that's a big reason. I also think that online poker is responsible for a lot of the, different changes that we've seen in terms of poker strategy. I mean, poker is a game that is constantly evolving and there's never, you know, a ceiling to, you know, how much you can learn or, or a time when you're going to know it all when it comes to poker. But I think because, you know, online poker has made it so that you know you have to adapt much quicker and you know you're seeing so many hands so people are constantly changing the way they're playing the game because sometimes when you start playing against the same opponent all the time you know you have to change your style a lot so i think it's responsible for a lot of those those uh different strategies that we've seen come about in the last five years and i think that's what makes online poker players better because they're constantly changing and evolving and they're the people at the, you know, they're spearheading the changes in the game, I think now. And so they're at the front of that learning curve. And so I think for those reasons and, and, and a lot more, I think online players are better than live players, but you know, there's also this, I think there's also more of this willingness to learn. I think when you play online, a lot of people, you know, associate playing online with also learning online. So all of the learning tools available online, um, a lot of the strategy videos that you see, um, a lot of the strategy sites, they always use, you know, online tournament structures and, and whatever else to, you know, teach their, their strategy. And so I think that it's a lot more relevant to players who play online. All of the newest, you know, um, learning tools that we have. Is, is definitely more, um, it, it definitely applies more, I think, to online poker. So I think it leaves people who just play live, you know, out in the cold a little bit. So I think that, I think that the best live players in the world today can absolutely, you know, be better than live players if, you know, they were willing to, you know, kind of take both the live and online methodology and, and, you know, incorporate that into their game, but I think I've seen a little bit of resistance from live players to play online, whereas online players are much more readily um, willing
1: to play live. And I'm really glad you talked about changes. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about is how poker strategy has changed over the past five years. Can you go into that, how, the, specifically how that strategy has changed and, and what our listeners need to, to look out for in order to improve their game? Well, I think a big one is, for, in terms of
0: tournament-wise, online tournament structures are much faster than than live tournaments, and usually the structures aren't as good. The, the stacks are a little bit shallower, so there's a little bit less play post-flop and a little bit more play pre-flop, which I think has made the math that much more important. Math has always been, you know, important in terms of, you know, where poker is concerned, but I think, you know, in a live arena – and you know players you know five ten years ago they they knew enough math in terms of you know calculating pot odds and and all of that stuff and figuring out what your outs are they knew enough to get by and then i think they a lot of them were more focused on things like live tells and, and things like that and i'm not saying that that's not important but i'm saying that you know when you play an online tournament structure where there's a very very uh specific way to play in terms of pre-flop that makes your play unexploitable and makes your play, uh, you know, um, makes your play, I guess, the right play given the situation, that's a lot of that is math-based. And so there's a lot of players online that are making these decisions based on charts, based on math that, you know, they've figured out, you know, what is, you know, there's probably like a range of like what's the best play and it's it's very specific and very tailored to that situation. But I think that it's made them focus on the math more, which is is now very, very important because I think I think people are saying now all the time, okay, Phil Helmies is obviously a good poker player, but he fundamentally does some things that are very bad. And that's what a lot of people say about a lot of the, you know, older school players, if you will. And so I think the problem comes from there wasn't so much of a focus um, before five years ago on the fundamentals on, you know, you know, exact math and, and how to apply it properly. You know, everybody was kind of, you know, ballparking it and whatever. And so I think that now you see a lot of people saying that online poker players have, you know, this better grasp on the fundamentals of poker. And I think that's that's definitely been a big reason why the strategy in poker has changed in the last five years I think there's been a shift to you know a little bit more math based and I think people are starting to realize that if you don't have a strong fundamental um in terms of you know math and and math and whatever else as far as playing poker goes you're not ever really going to reach that top level whereas before I think people could kind of skate by a little bit easier and you can still be a winning poker player but You know, that's also because your opponents were
1: probably worse
0: at the things that you're kind of bad at already.
1: Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. Pot odds and math, even though I was always really good at math, I I resisted it. It was a very big hole in my game for many years. I resisted learning it. And when I finally said, okay, I'm going to learn this. And I'm going to figure out how I can use it for myself. Even though I was good at math, for some reason, every time I read something on pot odds or or the 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 math that was used in poker, for some reason, I would just glaze over. So I literally sat down over a two month period and figured it out for myself. And I realized it doesn't take two months to learn it. But <laughs> when I said, you know, I've got to I've got to do this myself until I can understand it. And it, it, all of a sudden, it was like the fog cleared. It became crystal clear. It's a, it's astonishingly simple. It's not as complicated as people make it. I think it's just pr- always been presented as such a difficult thing because people are afraid of numbers. Right,
0: right. And that's and and it's kind of like what you said. I think it's easy to be resistant to it and kind of rely on other things that you know maybe comes a little bit easier to you or you're definitely good at. But I think that people are just doing themselves, you know, a huge disservice if they don't at least try to, you know, learn the fundamentals of of math in poker because that, like you said, it, it ends up making a huge difference because there literally are situations in poker that come up where nothing else matters but the math. It literally, you literally, it doesn't matter how strong of a live tell you have on somebody it, if the math makes it, a hundred percent wrong in that situation, then you cannot make that play, you know, so.
1: Absolutely. Now, let's talk about this hyper-aggressive players that have evolved today. What tips can you give our listeners about playing against these types of players? That's such a great question because, you know, that's definitely a part of my game that I
0: had problems with you know in the last year or two as like you said these hyper aggressive players have you know been coming uh more and more you know prevalent in the game i i feel like you know i started out as a live player so that hyper aggressiveness that that fast you know four bet five bet pre-flop re-raise you know play that wasn't really ever a part of my style and that's something that i've kind of had to you know incorporate into my style to keep up with these very very aggressive players and i think that the tips that i would give people is are um you know one i think what they don't realize is to sometimes is play back at them one time and they'll stop doing what they're doing i wouldn't say obviously that it will for all hence all hyper aggressive players but i found that you know and i'm not saying you know go guns blazing like trying to you know outrage them. I'm saying, you know, find a good opportunity where maybe you do have a good hand, but maybe you don't. And, you know, but just find a good situation where, you know, you you can, you know, four bet them or five bet them. And and you'll notice, you know, once, you know, I, I think human nature a little bit as sad as it is, is, you know, you kind of pick on the weaker people. So I think that once you kind of take a stand and show your opponent that you're not weak, you'll be surprised as to how much they let up on you and how they'll just shift their focus to another player at the table. So that's definitely one thing that I realized. I don't have to be, I don't have to, you know, raise them more more times than they raise me. Sometimes it really only takes one time and they'll kind of shut down. But another thing that I've noticed too is I think that, you know, if you kind of, if you kind of assert yourself in terms of, maybe not even playing back at against that specific opponent that's making it very difficult for you, but kind of taking charge in terms of, you know, some of the other players at the table. If you start, you know, maybe picking on the weaker players that, you know, you know that you can kind of raise out a pots or, you know, bluff out a pots or whatever. I think that really good players will take notice of that. And then even though, you know, you aren't playing back at them specifically, I think that the hyper aggressive players will take note that, you know, in certain situations, you're not afraid to, you know, make big plays. And I think that they'll also, you know, take that into consideration the next time that, you know, it's it's between them trying to, you know, be aggressive towards you or maybe somebody that they perceive
1: hasn't really played back as much. Oh, I think those are great points for sure. Since you are predominantly a, a live cash game and live tournament player, how do you suggest players prepare for live, cash games, live events? I think that, you know, going back to what we were saying about, you know,
0: treating this as, you know, a business or a job, I think, you know, it ta- taking it seriously, I-, I think that's the biggest uh, biggest tip that I could give people in terms of how to prepare, you know, Nobody really, you know, wakes up, you know, when they know they have work the next morning. Nobody goes to sleep the night before, you know, at 5 in the morning or, you know, gets wasted or goes out and parties. And I just think that, you know, this is a game that takes a lot of mental focus and acuity. And if you're off a little bit, that would be the difference between a winning session and a losing session or making a lot of mistakes versus, you know, making zero or one or two mistakes that are, you know, negligible in the game. And so I think... Uh, you know, I realize I play horribly when I'm tired. And so when I know that the next day I'm going to be playing, you know, a tournament that's going to take 12 hours, um, or playing a ca- cash game session that might last, you know, eight to 10 hours, I really make sure that I get a good night's rest the night before. I make sure that, you know, I'm not out late. I'm not partying. I'm not doing things that is going to get in the way of my ability to mentally be on top of my game. And, you know, I also try, you know, I know poker is a very social environment, especially live. And, and I'm not, you know, deterring people from interacting with their, the people at their table or, or talking. But I feel like sometimes it's very important to kind of shut that down and, and to just be in your own head. I think a lot of times, you know, when people start tournaments, they're talking to their friends. They're not sitting at the table. They're not focusing. And I have this problem too. Sometimes in the middle of tournaments, I will, walk around and I'll go talk to people or I'll go check on other people's stats and it's just a lot of extraneous unnecessary things that I don't need to be doing when I could be sitting at my table and even if I'm not in the hand paying attention to how my opponents are playing against one another because I think people have this tendency once they're not in the hand themselves to kind of you know not even be paying attention to what's going on at the table and I think that's a very very
1: uh that's that could definitely cost you. Oh, absolutely. It's one of the things that I first focus on with my coaching clients is telling them that when they're out of the hand, that's when their work really begins. Mm-hmm. That's when you must pay attention to what other people are doing. And I know one of the things I tell them is that in the night before a game, I want you to be at you know at your hotel. I want you to get there early. I want you to get get, if you're going to a big event that's going to last several days, I want you to get there a day early so that you can rest for it and then, if the event starts at at noon the next day, I want you to be in your hotel room at 10:30 at night. Spend an hour and a half preparing so that you can, you know, have breakfast brought to you in the morning at nine o'clock. And, and, and I know you and I both were at, in 2007 during the main event. You know, and I talked about it to the begin with. We were we were, we passed each other in the restroom, and when it got down to only only four women left in the main event, you know, there was virtually nobody in the restroom when we got there. But you and I both like kept our focus. We we were it's not that we were we were shying away from each other, but we were in our own heads and we were really focused on our game. And I remember that so much. We had our phones and we were talking to who we needed to talk to, and we were keeping into our game even when we were away from the table. And I believe that that's one thing that people need to do with their game is to stay focused when they're at the table, when they're away from the table, and to keep from letting that social aspect of the game drain them, drain them of energy. Definitely. Um, Let's talk about table image. You are an absolutely gorgeous woman, and you are welcome. And, you know, how does that affect your game? Um, You know,
0: I, I, I find that just being you know, a woman at the poker table, even now when I think it's just much more, you know, definitely still not the norm, but I think that, you know, you see more women playing poker now than obviously you ever have before. But it's still amazing to me how, you know, shocked or surprised people seem by it. And, you know, I only, I only get two kinds of people in terms of how I think they're perceiving me at the table. I get, and they're both, you know, on opposite extreme ends of the spectrum one end I get the person that you know wants to play hard against me wants to try to bless me thinks I'm the easy target you know and is always kind of gunning for me because you know I'm a female and they always assume that because I'm a female I don't know what I'm doing and so they're always targeting me or I get the kind of person that you know wants to play nice with me because I'm a girl, because I don't know, maybe they think I can't handle my own at a poker table or what, but, you know, they're always being nice or, but almost in a condescending way where they're like, okay, well, I'm gonna check, sweetie, like, and, or like, you know, just, just little things like that where, you know, they don't play very hard against me. I don't feel like they're out to get me, but there is something about them soft playing me where they kind of expect that I soft play them back then. They don't expect that a female's gonna, you know, you know, bluff them then if they're nice to them. So it's very, it's very strange to me that, you know, those are kind of the main two prev- prevailing groups of thought in terms of how people see me as a player because I'm a woman. But I've always, you know, I've always used that to my advantage. I'm, I'm never one to, you know, take being a woman at the poker table as being anything but an advantage. I think a lot of times people will say, you know, I, it, I know I talk to women actually that say that they've been intimidated to, you know, go play in a casino environment because they feel, you know, like they're the minority and they don't feel that comfortable and they feel, you know, just out of place and they're not really sure, you know, how to act or how to be. And, you know, I always tell people that, you know, poker is a game where there's no inherent advantages, I'm sorry, disadvantages to being, you know, one gender over the other. So I think... Being female, as long as you know how to exploit, you know, the, the way that your opponents are playing against you, I think that it's, it's everything but a disadvantage. So, you know, I've always just, I, I think I just, I remember one time specifically there was somebody who was at my table and I had pocket kings and They had aces, and they were kicking me under the table, and I still ended up calling them, calling their all-in preflop, and then they got so angry at me after, and they were like, I was trying to tell you I had aces, and then I just, it just made me realize, you know, that's not the way I want to play my game. I don't want to, I don't want to have, I'll take my, you know, I'll take the advantage when somebody gives it to me, but I'm not going to have an unfair in terms of somebody wanting to tell me their hand. I'm still going to play correctly, but then I realized that there's a lot of other subtle things that people are doing, you know, because I'm a woman that I feel fully is within, you know, my rights to take advantage of and fully within, you know, the legalities of keeping the game, um, you know, of uh, just keeping, you know, the honesty and the integrity of the game. And so I've never felt bad where if somebody's going to soft play me, you know, someone's going to be like, okay, well, I'll check to you because you're a girl and I'm not going to bet my hand. Sure. Great. I'll take it. But don't expect that I'm going to check to you when I have a hand, you know? So, uh, yeah, you bet.
1: <laughs> Check to me if you want to, but don't don't expect reciprocation.
0: Right, right, exactly. And so, you know, I just I, I think that I've I feel like I've been able to kind of navigate those waters a little bit better than, you know, some people have. But I think it's just it just comes down to, you know, using whatever however your opponents perceive you to your advantage. And so whatever that may be, if they're blessing you a lot or if they feel like you're an easy target, you know, they're then slow play them, then find the opportunity where they're just going to be trying to bluff you and you have the hand and you're going to be able to, you know, extract a lot of chips because, you know, that if you check to them, you know, they're always going to bet because you know that they always think that, you know, you'll fold. And, you know, you just take advantage uh, of the way that they perceive you and the way that they're playing against you. And I feel like, you know, it definitely worked for me.
1: So. Well, I have two more questions before we go. The first one has to do with some guidelines for – Chip acquisition, you know, speed of playing in tournaments, that's something that, that I believe most people don't have a grip, grip on. Any suggestions, any recommendations, any, any clues that you can give that will help people with acquiring chips or speed of their tournament play?
0: So are you saying that you feel like people I'm I'm uh I'm a little bit uh, confused.
1: Well, I I think that a, a lot of people when they when they decide that they want to start playing tournaments they're they're either one extreme or the other. They're either too aggressive mm-hmm. or they're simply too tight. Okay. Okay. Um yeah, I I feel like that that's
0: definitely true. I think a lot of people they they either come into a tournament thinking okay, well, I'm going to get a lot of chips or I'll be out early. Or there's the people that, you know, are playing so slowly and being so patient and not really creating opportunities for themselves and just waiting for opportunities where they, you know, end up blinding out or where they end up having a stack that's so short that they're really limiting their play and their ability to make plays. So I think that uh, as far as, you know, bigger buy-in, good structure tournaments go, I think that it's very important. Before the Annie stages, to you know play a little bit tight on the tighter side, to take that time when you know the blinds are, are are small and and you don't really you're not playing for a huge pot in terms of in in terms of relative to your stack size, um, to your starting stack size. I think that it's important to take that time to pick up on the tendencies of your of you know your poker players there's no reason to get involved in a huge pot you know in level one of a tournament when you have no idea how your opponent's playing um so i think that sometimes people who go in into a tournament with the idea of you know i just want to play fast or i want to play a lot of hands or i'm going to play loose or you know i i don't think that that's ever really worked out well especially when the structure is good you have time to you know figure out how your opponents are playing you have time to make plays and to create opportunities you know as long as you know you're you're you know staying you know above water in terms of not letting yourself you know blind down and not just waiting for a hand i'm a big advocate of you know small ball poker i think that it's important to you know win the small pots that you know people are willing to give up uncontested because you don't realize how much that's padding your stack and you know five small pots can easily add you know 15 percent to your stack and that's really just going to help you later on when you know maybe the blinds are going up and you you know you're not really getting any premium hands to play or you're not really finding a good situation to bluff and and so that really helps in those situations and it also helps because I think you know everyone's always looking at oh my god this is a big pot there's so much money in the middle I want to I want to get involved in that I want to win this pot but but There's a, it's a risk versus reward thing in those situations because, you know, you're, you have to risk really huge, you know, for the reward of a huge pot. But there are a bunch of small pots that are just out there for the taking where you're risking very little and people usually put up very little resistance and very little opposition for those small pots because they're not thinking, Oh, they're just thinking, Oh, it's a small pot. So I don't really, you know, if I'm folding the best hand here, I'm, they're much more, you know, willing to to not play back in those situations. And I think people aren't taking advantage of that enough.
1: I I agree. The last question is thinking about, I think one of the, a major hole in most poker players game is that they truly believe they're better at poker than they really are specifically because they don't keep accurate records or tracks uh, track of their wins or losses. How important is that record keeping and what suggestions do you have for the players that are listening? I mean, that is, so
0: incredibly important, and I just can't stress that enough because, you know, once again, I feel like, you know, we're beating a dead horse here, but it does go back to the whole taking poker seriously as a job and as a business. Obviously, nobody wants to be on an Excel spreadsheet, and it just seems tedious to, you know, keep all of these very, very detailed, meticulous records. But it is so important because especially people who travel to play tournaments, they have no clue, you know, how much expenses, you know, are really cutting into, you know, their their return on investment. I think people don't realize, you know, they look at it as, oh, well, I'm just going to go here to play this tournament. You know, it's, it's going to be a huge field, this and that. But they don't realize all of the extra costs associated with that travel. And then, you know, you come to realize that you can't really sustain, you know, traveling for poker tournaments, et cetera. So it's really important from that standpoint to keep records. But like you said, it's even more important to, to, you know, keep track because sometimes, yeah, you do, you get this misconception. You, you know, go play a cash game session and, you know, you win, you know, you win $10,000 in one session and you're like, oh my God, this is great. I made more money than you know, people can make in, you know, six months, but then you don't, but then you start, you know, having a losing session of 500 here, or 300 here. And at first they're just saying, oh, well, you know, I just lost 500, so I'm not going to write that down because I just won 10,000, you know, last week. And then you don't realize that that starts to add up. And pretty soon you've cut into all of your profits and you don't even realize it. And then, you know, maybe it's time to move down bankrolls. Maybe it's time to, you know, start, you know, reevaluating your life expenses or whatever it may be. But I think people who aren't on Top of record keeping are not making these small little adjustments that is going to benefit them in terms of making sure that they're always they always have the proper bankroll at all times and making sure that they're managing you know all of the other expenses associated with their lifestyle or or playing poker or whatever it is um, that's really you know keeping them from you know holding on to a lot of their winning.
1: Absolutely, Maria. This has been absolutely fabulous. You're you're very forthcoming and very giving. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. You asked me uh, some, so many great questions that
0: a lot of people, you know, I think I, I, I love nothing more than to, you know, help people who want to become professional poker players do it, but I want them to do it the right way. And, you know, thanks for giving me this forum
1: to, you know, share that with everybody. Well, you know, would you do this again with me? Oh, absolutely. This is great. Absolutely. Well, this has been Donna Blevins, your poker mindset coach, along with Maria Ho, one of my absolute heroes in poker. Um, She finished the last woman standing in the 2007 World Series of Poker, and uh, I I now know that she and I both busted out with (laughs) Ace-10. Yes.